Welcome to the Tempter Podcast. This is where we discuss embedded Linux, IoT, and anything else we find interesting. Your hosts today are Cliff Brake and Kem Raj. Hi, Kem. How's it going? Very good, Cliff. Good. How about you? Yeah, yeah, real well. So the, the topic today is 64 bits in embedded systems, embedded Linux systems, and what are some of the trade-offs, why you might consider going 64-bit versus 32 and we just want to share some perspective and experiences on, on kind of where we see things going. Mm-hmm. So, Kim, maybe to start off, uh, what, it, what is a 64-bit platform? And uh, Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think um, how we define them is generally, you know, how many bit length your CPUs can have. Um, so when they can process 32 bits, um, they are called 32 bits or four words, or if they are, they are able to do 64 bits, um, then we call them generally 64 bits. And uh, generally, the the overall processing length um, is what we are talking about here for a, for an operation. Um, and generally, you know, you have registers that are involved, so you know that's how. Um, the data is um, transferred between the operations. So usually you have 64-bit registers um, and the uh, 32-bit systems will have 32-bit registers. So um, essentially what you see there is that's your unit of operation becomes 32-bit and here you know your unit of operations are uh, primarily 64-bit operations. Sure. Uh, whether so, they are load store, whether they are compute operations, you know the 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 fundamental unit that they are operating on is generally sixty four bit. Mm-hmm. So a thirty two bit integer that works out to like the maximum number would be a, be four billion, if I if I remember correctly. Yes, roughly that. And then a sixty four bit integer, the maximum number is is a number so huge we we can't even imagine it. I'm sure. Yeah, not so far. <laughs> yes. So w- one of the issues in the past, I recall, is for, for desktop and server systems, you know, when we had 32-bit systems, it seemed like that was plenty. But as, as RAM prices continued to come down and capacity expanded, we soon, we soon had 4 gigabytes of RAM mm-hmm. in a machine. And then that became a real problem, and you couldn't address the entire memory space easily with a 32-bit machine. So that's right. that's my recollection of what kind of drove the desktop and server systems into 64-bit, so that you could that's have six. yeah, you could have more than four gigabytes of RAM. So yeah. h- how long have um, 64-bit systems been around in the embedded space? Ooh, uh, that's a very good question. I guess they have been around for a long, long time. Um, so, you know, if you go back, um, you know, it was in nineties, um, the IDIC systems that came around, they were, you know, primarily first 64 bit systems, um, you know, the, uh, Silicon graphics, um, systems. Um, but then for a while, you know, it was being worked towards, but, uh, it really started, you know, in the desktop slash server space. Um, with 
um, AMD coming and Intel coming with, you know, 64-bit uh, EM64T architecture that became more common. But I think as far as embedded is concerned, you know, more or less, um, they stayed uh, uh, primarily on 32-bit systems, um, I would say, for uh, quite a bit of time. There are a few anomalies you can talk about, but really, if you look at, um, you know, 64-bit um, becoming more common, I would think practically is post-Raspberry Pi 3. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. You know, where, you know, you really started putting 64-bit, you know, silicon into like embedded boards. Um, before that, there were designs, you know, that were available uh, for 64-bit. You know, there were like network switches and things like that that were designed by, uh, at enterprise level, you know, they could uh, use, if you call them embedded, embedded systems, then there were blade servers, you know, who were um, doing that sort of stuff. Uh, but if you consider really like industrial IT and, you know, that uh, consumer electronics, uh, that's primarily started fairly uh, uh, recently, I would say, you know, in uh, fairly recently, meaning probably, you know, last 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the, in the industrial embedded space, we often look to the NXP IMX series of processors. Mm-hmm. So the IMX6 was popular for years and years, and that's a 32-bit processor. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of years ago, the IMX8 was released, and that's a 64-bit processor. So in the industrial space, yeah. that's an example where we've seen the, the transition from 32 to 64 bits. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also, if you look into the cellular phone space, then I think you know they started this migration few years early, but they are um, going through those transitions as well. You know, a few years before, I think Nestle IT uh, chipsets came along. So um, pretty much every cell phone today is probably 64-bit, or at least the smartphones. Yeah, if you go and buy a new phone today, you know, they pretty much are 64-bit today, whether it is, you know, any operating system, any vendor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so what are, what are the, some of the challenges with 64 bits in the uh, in the embedded space, or how how do we support that? Yeah, so I think um, you know the constraints for embedded systems. Um, one of the big constraints generally used to be around storage, right? So you wouldn't be putting a big disk or big you know NAND or or that sort of storage space in there because that added to your bomb cost. So if you look into 64-bit, um, you know, you take an application and compile that 32-bit or 64-bit, the 64-bit version is generally bigger in size. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I wouldn't put a number, but, you know, it's not, it can be same, you know, or it could be bigger. Generally, it is bigger. It's not double, right? But it's somewhere, you know, 20% onwards. Sometimes it's 5, 10%. Mm -hmm. But overall, you end up with a larger root file system, right? When you have all the programs and libraries that you are packing together. Um, so 64-bit um, 
you know, will result in a larger file system. Um, the second constraint is that now your buses, as well as your registers are 64-bit. Therefore, your unit of operation is 64-bit, which means that, um, you know, the amount of um, RAM it needs to do those operations is also larger. So the amount of runtime memory your programs will require go up goes up too as well. And so you again, need, you need larger caches then as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a power concern um, because you know 64-bit CPUs are bigger compute units. Uh, therefore, they, they may require more power. Uh, but then that's also subjective because usually power goes hand in hand with what you're doing. So sometimes you might have a very power-hungry 32-bit processor, which you are pegging at a very high speed for you know whatever you're doing. And now you know you could do that same job with 64-bit, probably with maybe similar power form factor uh, with a... Uh, you know, a lower powered 64-bit CPU uh, for that matter. So if you consider, so these are primarily, you know, three larger, roughly, you know, areas where you worry about things. Um, and, um, and compute is something that, you know, in many cases um, is is probably equally important, but not more important than other two. And um, uh, so in many cases, you do see that, you know, it's probably not that I don't want more compute, but it's just that I can't have more compute, you know, so that is what the industrialities constraints were so far. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what you will see today is that your memories have gone cheap, you can put more memory your, you know, um, SSDs slash um, SD cards slash EMMC, you know, the price points aren't similar to what they were, you know, 10 years ago. And um, similarly, uh, if you look at the miniaturization of the designs, so you can have a really small area to fit in your 64-bit systems nowadays has kind of enabled it into, you know, being packed into those small SOMs or small systems. If you look at Raspberry Pi today, right, it's like a very, it's a credit card size board uh, and it runs a 64-bit CPU. Mm -hmm. So today's 64-bit system is probably as small and power efficient as as, as, uh, 10 years ago, the 32-bit systems and just the reduction yeah. processor geometries. So how about performance? Have you done any um, apples to apples performance comparisons of 32-bit and 64-bit? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, you know, generally 64-bit outperforms, um, you know, on 32-bit systems, um, largely because of, you know, the factors we talked about. Generally, your 64-bit registers you can push more data onto system bus, read more data, compute more data, and do bigger operations um, in single cycles. 
Um, so that all results in quite a nice improvement in compute. Plus 64-bit uh, systems tend to have double the register size, which means that your you know, compiler can use a um, lot of these registers to juggle the data before using the memory uh, to do the transactions. So what that gives it is that uh, it adds quite a bit to speed of your program if it doesn't have to spill that out to memory um, you know, for uh, performing the calculations or whatever it is doing. So uh, overall, you, know, you, you end up doing, if you go with barring is, you know, you're not looking at how much memory it's going to need or you know, space it's going to need, the performance is always better on 64-bit systems. And it can be, in some cases, um, a huge difference. Um, but generally, if you look at, um, you know, it's kind of, you, you have that average, um, you know, 15, 30% improvement just by recompiling a program and not doing anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you can see is, um, you know, compiler also finds more opportunities to do, um, you know, more aggressive optimizations on your systems. Sure. Okay. So, uh, so here's the big question, I guess, is why should we choose 64-bit over 32? And I, I know we've talked about some of the the issues like performance, and mm-hmm. but what what are some of the issues we might run into on 32-bit platforms in the future? Yeah, I think um, so. Uh, if, when we build, you know, embedded systems there are many factors that come into picture. And one of the big, big factor is the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And what you see with the ecosystem is, um, you know, a lot of the development is driven, as you speak of open source communities are around, you know, open source tools and open source projects. Um, And you would observe that a lot of that is now default 64-bit. So if somebody writes a new tool or somebody writes a new software, new library enabling you, you know, they would have optimized it for 64-bit already because that's their native platform that they're doing um, because of their development being perhaps a desktop or a server or what have you. So it's an advantage for you to, you know, already utilize that work that has gone in there. And one example I can cite is like, you know, um, uh, in browsers, for example, VASM support, um, you know, was implemented on 64-bit. I mean, there are some implementations out there today that can do 32-bit, but, you know, obviously such big features, they become 64-bit ready first. And then obviously, you know, some folks have need for 32-bit and things like that. They kind of add that later on. Um, The other thing you might have observed is like more modern compile infrastructures. Uh, If you look at like Go compiler or uh, Clang for that matter or Rust or anything, they added like 64-bit architectures from day one. So um, what it does is it, if you look at the the maturity of those backends is far, far better than something that, you know, you're adding uh, later on 
uh, for you know complying to 32-bit architecture. So, um, what do you end up with? Like, is a huge ecosystem uh, that is tuned for 64-bit already, and you have a large set of software that's already ported to 64-bit to choose from. So, in my opinion, that's actually a huge deal. It gives you a a high starting point for your projects. Um, you know, some of these uh, you know modules and some of um, uh, key aspects that you might need in a Go program and you know that may be available for you uh, will be already optimized for 64-bit um, rather than like you know you're doing some work there to get it going. Um, and I think uh, performance is definitely important because I think your uh, requirements, compute requirements, are much higher today on industrial IoT systems as well than they were a few years ago. Because today you are connected to the internet and you are running some sort of web application in some cases. So you know you are basically embedding a browser on those systems. Um, if you consider like entertainment sector, then you have you know uh, 4K videos, you know playbacks and. Um, besides that, you know, systems are doing a lot of other activities of managing other units uh, that are on the system. Uh, so the compute requirements on these systems has gone up as well. Mm-hmm. And you really uh, get benefits of scaling those use cases really well on 64-bit. Sure. Yeah, that make ton- makes tons of sense because, you know, if you look at where most of this, most of the... Um, yeah, we we mostly use ARM Linux, ARM ARM mm-hmm. the ARM architecture and embedded. So, you look at where all the development's being done now. It's it's uh, a lot of ARM processors are going into servers, server yeah. uh, farms now. The the high core count. Yeah. And of course, the mobile devices. You know, there's a huge amount of focus and development there. And technologies like the browser. You you pointed out WASM. You know, it's important. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very complex technology, and if we if we we need to leverage what other people are doing. So the other big thing when we select technology is we want to look ahead and try to predict where where things are going to be in ten years because we don't want to start with a technology that's trailing off and won't be supported very well five yeah. five or ten years from now. We want to start with something that's that's gaining momentum and is on the rising trajectory you know and that and that's what we want to jump on so that we have a a good long runway of of uh innovation yeah coming in the future yeah yeah so yeah anything else that comes to mind i i know there's why 2038 if that's a big deal or not with 32 (laughs) versus 64 bit yeah i think um you pointed out, and I was kind of forgetting it. But um, so, why thought to you know twenty thirty eight problem is essentially uh, you know the where in twenty thirty eight the Unix time will wrap over, right? So thirty two bit uh, timer would basically finish off counting to the maximum that it can count, and um, now obviously this is a problem when your counter or your time structure is a 32-bit entity. Uh, 
And this is not a problem on a 64-bit systems from day one because time t is a 64-bit entity and you have you know uh, quite a bit to overrun that 64-bit uh, time t structure. But on 32-bit systems, um, this is a real problem and 2038 is not far, you know, as far as uh, we consider, we consider today it looks far, but if you consider the system you're designing today will still be in the service in 2038, very likely, uh, especially in the embedded space, you know, where the life cycle tend to be uh, way longer uh, than, you know, some of the desktops and other computers. Um, so if you're designing a 32-bit system today, you know, most likely, I would think you, you'll be uh, paying attention or should be paying attention to the 2038 problem. Sure, yeah. Because more likely, you will hit this problem when your systems are in the field. Um, now, what you see is that, you know, the, the problem existed um, and there were people thinking about it ahead of time, but... Um, you know, it's not something that you can kind of switch in a day, you know, so a lot of things, these are core structures and uh, you have to like really plan and look through um, portability issues and all that sort of stuff. So right now, the good news is we do have systems, um, you know, implemented or, you know, available in system software that you can basically use a 64-bit time T even on 32-bit systems. So th this is these are changes that are just being put in place as we speak, though, right? It's not, if we build a Linux system like a year or two years ago, chances are it would have the Y2038 problem. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely, yes. So if you designed it two years ago and you plan to support it for another, you know, 10, 15 years, you have the problem. You you um, have to upgrade the kernel and all the libraries and probably recompile everything basically yes. that deals with time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it's a problem that actually um, is you have to like really consider each and every application, you know, because you know the time valve structures and time spec, you know, all those things are very common way that people interact with the system on time. And they may be doing some typecasts if you're using C, C++ and assuming things. In, in many cases, they just look at the time T structure and then they just like, you know, typecast it to an integer or something. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. So even if you <laughs> recompile, it still may not work depending on how the application developers wrote their, pro wrote their code. Yeah. 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 So you have to really patch the code and look through that. Um, but I think that's, you know, th that's the other kind of thing is that, hey, you know, do you want to get into that issue? Uh, or I think at this point of time, you know, that's one uh, attribute that you would say, you know, let's basically use 64-bit systems as well in my mind, mm -hmm. you know, that because otherwise you have to like really do the work of making sure that your systems are, you know, 64-bit time T safe. Yeah. Um, so um, we don't have these problems with um, any of the 64-bit systems. Um, some of the things that I do see is that, you know, we talk about secure boot and 
that those infrastructures are very well supported on 64-bit systems as well. So if you are like interested in those bits, they just come out of box for you. And uh, those are huge value in, in many cases, you know, that it's something, especially if you're a small company or, you know, a single person trying to deploy a system, uh, these are huge value if you can use them and they are available, but, you know, doing it by itself is, is humongous task. Mm -hmm. um, so you see all these advantages that, you know, you, you, you get, um, and I think the other thing you do see is, you know, the 64-bit is more of a common platform where, you know, you uh, ARM, you call like AR64. And of course, there are now variants of ARM V8 architecture and V9 now, but it's not as, as you know, uh, varied that it, it was in 32-bit ARM segment where one arm wasn't compatible with other and you have to like really really uh, know uh, what your abi options are and things like that so i think that's also important uh, from portability point of view where you can have like single application work on different 64-bit uh, arm architectures yeah that's great so you're saying the arm 64-bit there's a lot more consistency from processor to processor the architecture is more consistent so it's a lot easier yeah. to be portable yeah yeah that's a good thing i remember all the floating point differences and different things we had with 32-bit you know where you saw yeah. these big differences from part to part and it was it was fairly yeah. challenging to to support all that and they had software floating points so yeah it's nice that all is just standard now yeah, I consider that part of the friction, right? So you are distracted to do those kind of stuff, whereas you should be working on your algorithm and right. getting that, you know, the feature implemented. So, mm -hmm. um, so you know, this this really gets you on a on a right foot uh, from the very beginning. Yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything else that comes to mind on this topic? Yeah, so I think um, one uh, thing I do see is that, you know, they, you would see more of like, um, um, you know, maybe RISC-V64, ARM64, and Intel X8664 as primarily three architectures evolving, I think, in coming futures, um, even into, you know, a, a vast landscape of the space from embedded from IoT up into like supercomputers. And um, I do see, like, you know, it's unpopular opinion probably, but uh, even in the uh, microcontrol space, uh, there may be 64-bit CPUs or MPUs coming soon. Sure, yeah. Yeah, time definitely marches on, so we, we need to be aware of that, yeah. Okay, well, I, I appreciate all the thoughts, and... And thanks for listening. If you have any comments, reach out to us on our community forum or, or contact us via our info at tempter.org email address. And until next time. Thank you, Cliff.